please help me pronounce your first name correctly. I was going to say the same thing. It's Deegan. Deegan. Okay. Deegan. Good. So, Deegan. Deegan. It's a very cool name. I like it. It's like D E E G E N or something like that. Deegan. Good. Well, you've had it for a long time, so you know how to pronounce it, I guess. I have had it for a long time. I tried <laughs> to get rid of it. Did you really? What in the world for? It's a cool name. I mean, I was five. Think about it. Oh, yeah. I get oh, well, you know, mine is Douglas at five, and I tried to get rid of it as well. So. Yeah, uh, right. All right, here we go. Hey, Doug Smith. It's been a long time since I talked to you. How are things? Hey, Tom. Everything's great over here in Florence. How's beautiful Charleston, South Carolina? It is good. We are happy to have the sun and the clouds, and uh, it's 80-something. I got the AC roaring already. February AC makes for fun. I like it's it. crazy, isn't it? Absolutely. It is, it is true. And speaking of cool, I want to introduce you to a new friend of ours, Deegan Williams. Please let me introduce you to Doug Smith, also known as Doug the Food Guy. Hey, Doug the Food Guy. Nice to meet you. Hey, Deegan. How are you doing today? I'm well, thank you. I'm glad to meet you guys. So, so glad to get finally get to meet you and find out a little bit about you. So <laughs> where are you right now? I am currently in Oakland, California, which is in the San Francisco Bay Area. Oh, and we're having the exact opposite of you guys, which is that it is, it's like Anchorage, Alaska right now. Really? So it's we're cold freezing. there right now. We're freezing. Wow. It's a beautiful part of the world. I've been there a few times and uh, actually drove across the Golden Gate Bridge. Didn't go across the Oakland Bridge. Should have, but I didn't. But I drove across the Golden Gate, went and visited a couple little wineries out that huh. part of the world. It was, it was pretty darn awesome. It's beautiful up in, in the wineries, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Just sit there and look and take in that beautiful scenery. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where did you, you grow up? I'm in Florence, South Carolina, which is right here. Uh, if you watch any national news, we have a very popular thing that just happened recently right off of our coast. Myrtle Beach is about an hour and a half from me. And that's where the Chinese spy balloon was shot down. Now, there's a lot of rumors going around about the spy balloon, but I happen to know that they were checking out my recipes because I, I write recipes and promote and all that. So there's a lot of craziness out there, but we all know they were trying to steal my food. Because you're important and your recipes are internationally famous. Everybody wants them. Exactly. So, you know, there's a lot of other rumors going around, but, but that's the story I'm going with. You go, brother. You go. I'm I'm with you. I like it, Doug. I didn't know that. That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad it was you and not me. Yeah, yeah. Somebody had to do it. So, well, Deegan, I was just curious. Tell us a little bit about what's going on. Uh, uh, kind of like a 101 about you and where you are right now. A 101 about me. So, um, I was a chef by trade for 25 years, classically trained, fine dining. And when I got trained, um, young, really young, right? Like instead of going to college, I went to cooking school in Paris. Mm -hmm. And when I came Ooh. back to the States, I found myself at the helm of fine dining restaurants and didn't know anything about business. And I was like, if I can cook it, they will come. Mm -hmm. And as it turns out, you have to do more about food business. So I share all that to say fast forward a couple of years, a couple hundred centuries, I now own a business called Culinary Business Strategy, and I help, I bring the business side to the food world. I help 
food and beverage businesses with the business side. That is so important because you're right. So many times, and, and you know, Tom and I both are food consultants as well. And I, but anyway, so many times we've seen, I have my grandmother's fried chicken recipe. It's going to be huge. And that's all they have. And boy, uh, are they going down a hard road with lots of hard decisions and difficulties and walls that they don't even know they've got to climb. And you, yes, there's so many things that's like, or all my friends and family say, I make the best chocolate chip cookies, I should sell them, right? And so where have I been? Like what's going on in my world is pre-pandemic, I was had 25, 30 clients a month. And during the pandemic, all of my projects got much smaller. It became a lot of like triage meatball surgery of like, what do I need to do in order to survive? And it was a lot of back of the envelope, really quick cash flow analysis, keeping people in business. And now it's starting to mellow out again of like, how do I grow my business? How do I keep things that's exciting? So that's yeah, I see that. that a lot too. People are ready to get back out. They're ready to be doing things. Uh, people are just starving for that, that next new thing for sure. Aren't they? Deacon, did you go to school first to learn what you did? I've had people ask me every time we say, hey, I'm a chef, a baker. They ask me inevitably, well, gosh, where did you go to school? And I actually claim to have a 350 degree because all of my work is was done burning my hands and the insides of my arms uh, at an oven at 350 degrees. Where did you did you go to school to learn uh, uh, to be a chef? I did, but that doesn't make me a better human being. It was, I was 17 and it was an accident, right? Like I, it's not because there's absolutely, there's, there's two worlds early on in my career. I remember people like, did you go to school or are you self-taught? You know, in other industries that can change or that can be different in this industry. Mm -hmm. There are places where self-taught is far better than a formal education. And then there are times when a formal education helps. So yes, I did go to cooking school. I was 17. I did my four, uh, my senior year abroad. And it was truly, I was just cruising, looking for a cooking school. And I found a place that um, allowed me to translate and wash dishes in order to pay for my classical French education. And I always say that I learned how to slice and dice and pull sugar and, you know, build a croquant bouche that was taller than I was and curl my fingers. But I had no idea like food cost and labor cost and leadership and all of that. It's kind of like baking a cake. Every one of those parts and pieces is so important to have a beautiful cake. If you don't have the food cost straight, the labor straight, uh, you know, you're not going to make it. No. And you know what? I became, I came, so I was in France from 17 to 24. I moved back to the States um, because I got the job as an executive chef and then in, in Northern California. And I didn't know any of that. And I had been in French kitchens where you're managed, let's just say very differently. Right. In the late eighties and very differently. <laughs> I very like differently. Yeah, very, very different. different. <laughs> Yeah. And as it turns out, you can't manage like that in the United States. No. They don't go you know, I've spoken to I've spoken to a couple of chefs that were very high strung in the 
early 80s. <laughs> well, and let's Just also talk so about different now. the obvious is that like, when I became an executive chef, I was 24 years old. I had 27 oh, wow. cooks in my kitchen. I had a daily change in menu, three meals a day, seven days a week. And I was the youngest person in the kitchen and I was the only female. Wow. And Damn. there's, let's just be honest, like there are some cultural norms that are different of, mm -hmm. you can't have some 24 year old whippersnapper girl running around telling you what to do. I had to learn how to manage and lead in very different ways. Wow. Talk about a trial you by know, fire. That's what I was just ready to say. That, that's a trial by fire for sure. But, uh, you know, <laughs> you guys, <laughs> I Deegan, make every mistake in the business. You know, Deegan, I hate to say this, but at some point here in the next couple, I've got to catch a flight because I'm bolting out of here. It's Friday. I'm going home. But I got to ask, you were classically trained in uh, French cuisine. What's the one dish that you just absolutely love and wish you could share with Tom and I and, 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 and let us enjoy what it is? You know, I'm making a tart tatin this evening for dessert for a friend that's for friends that are coming over for dinner. And I love a simple French pastry because if you just take key ingredients and you take and you make something really simple, it's quite delicious. So I would share that with you, know, you guys in a heartbeat. Uh, I'd love for you to share that recipe with us. And you just brought a thought in my mind. Real good. One of the mentors I had in time was Chef John Casala. He was a CIA trained chef that he was a teaching chef. He was a judge for, you know, anyway, international uh, renowned judge. He would always say, pick good food and let the food shine, let the ingredients shine. And that's one of the things I love about what you just said, because you didn't say put three pounds of sugar in it, put this and that. You just said, make it simple and make it delicious. Keep it simple. Pick good food and let it shine. I just wrote that down as a content starter. There I you go. Have a safe fight. Thank you for taking the time that you could with us. Can't wait awesome. to see that recipe. The concept, Deegan, came from my, the, the concept for the podcast came from my travels on Southwest Airlines between Charleston and Houston and Chicago. I got to sit next to some of the most amazing people in all of those times. And every time, Deegan, I would think, oh, if I could have only recorded that so that I could share it with my friends and family and, and not for any use for yeah. commercial use. So, so I would say, oh my gosh. So, so imagine if you and I were, you know, we're in an airport, we're going to the NRA or we're going to a conference or traveling for business as we are. And so we just, I decided, I guess, three years ago to start this podcast uh, and already had it in the, the, the books for a year before that, before uh, events changed and, and, I had someone urge me to do it. So I jumped in and did it as nervous as it makes me. So that's the concept about the, the airport. It makes it so that the, you know, 45 minutes an hour we have, that it is not meant really for chit chat, small talk. It's about things that are important to, because you would want to know the person. Because Deegan, as, as I'm sure you have found in your travels, so many times sitting next to somebody or being at a place that you're going to know someone you're going to know someone that they know. Even you and I, you and I, Doug, there's a very good chance within one or two people, we know someone right. in the food right. business. Right. So I wanted to give you a quick heads up so that, because that was kind of a weird way to do that. But we thought about it. It's like, well, hell, it's our, you know, it's our thing. So let's, you, you're here and oh crap, I got to go get my flight. 
and he's off and now it's me and you. I love that. I'm excited that when I read your profile and, and we first met Deegan, I, I don't, I regret, I don't remember on my notes. I keep a, a pretty detailed notes. I don't remember how we met, but I know when I, um, when I saw what you did, I, I wanted to, to meet you entrepreneurial food service for food biz professionals. So, so it makes it so that our conversation, we're not talking about kayaks. So we don't really, you know what I mean? We don't know what it is in this instance, we can, we can have the conversation. So Deegan, a little bit ago, you talked about turning from a person who's classically trained as a chef that you, you turned your world into a search for business. And then it sounds like you took that business and now you're taking it to food people. Deegan, you mentioned earlier that as a chef, you knew slicing, dicing, you knew techniques and had been, uh, you know, five, seven years in France already and had paid your way and earned your way. Where did learning business come into your need in the food business? I guess you can't see my face in a podcast, but my face looks scary. It's like, eeks. (laughs) (laughs) We'll say that. The thing is, I knew that I wanted to be a chef from the time I was in preschool. It was very clearly part of who I was and what I wanted to be a part of. And so my entire life, like I got into restaurants in high school as soon as I possibly could, started doing salads and prep stations and restaurants. And I wanted, I was like, okay, in order to be a chef, I'm going to go to some French cooking school and I'm going to do whatever the French tell me to do about how to become a chef. And I did that only to find out that slicing and dicing and pulling sugar is not actually being a chef. It's a very, it's a, there's the myth of being the chef of like having these divine intervention of great food. And then therefore you're a chef and you're like this renowned fancy chef. And the truth of the matter is you can't cook it all yourself. You need other people, you need help, you need stuff like that. And it was when I became an executive chef at the age of 24. And I remember being promoted from the sous chef to the chef. My husband said, go ahead and do it. My GM said, go ahead, you can do it. And I was like, I am way too young. I do not know enough. I have to learn so much more. Were you in the same restaurant? Were you a sous chef in the same, in the move to an executive chef in the same restaurant? I was. Wow. That's wow. (laughs) And then, right. And so then I was like, what do I do? And they were like, oh, you can do it. And I knew how much I didn't know. I knew more than that than they did. Once I started running and like I said, French kitchens are managed very differently than American kitchens. And so The only thing I knew how to do, the only management that I had ever really seen as a professional was (laughs) French and it doesn't work. I was the only girl, right? It it didn't work out well. So what an experience. I mean, but what an experience. I I know that as I have become a grown up officially um, and looking back on those things that that I did, I'm thinking, wow, that, you know, looking back now that the scars have healed and mentally I'm able to think about it again. <laughs> like, wow, that, that kitchen was, was, was a lot. I, I didn't start until we were still making refried beans, refritos from scratch. I mean, that was back. We didn't grow the rice. So it wasn't that sexy, but you know, we were, we were making everything. Delicious. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. And it gave me an understanding. It offered me the understanding that, that the, plate that we bring to you at the table had a lot of people touch it which is right to your point about it's it's thinking oftentimes we we had a a guest earlier today that that she's an entrepreneur in Canada and she talked about her realization at 28 
<laughs> that she needed other people that she could not do. She couldn't do everything by herself. No, and I appreciate why you said that. It It is so important to recognize that you do, that one does need other people and, and thoughts. So you're, so you're living out of California, culinary business strategy. Are your clients and the people you work with, are they in the food business now? Are they getting into the food business or have they already been and you're helping them in, you know, in all three senses? Similar to all three senses, but the majority of my clients are people that are already in the business and want some help to make their business better. They want to go from point A to point B. Most chefs are really hardworking, caring individuals, but they don't know how necessarily to bring the business side to the food world. So the business, the business yeah. is different. I know that when yeah. Doug mentioned a little while ago, both both he and I are in the food business. I work with manufacturers and product creation, product development, generally with the regional multi-unit chains in the region of the Southeast. That's what I do. I'm Doug so works. Curious. Yeah, it, Doug works. It's, it is a lot of fun. Uh, Doug works on a little bit opposite side as a consultant on the uh, procurement and finance side of the business of food. So he, they work with, he works with companies to help them with their finances, uh, meaning, meaning food businesses with their finances, but also with procurement and sourcing and auditing, which is a, which is a, a part of the business, Deegan, that think, you know, they, they look at a contract and they say, Hey, we've got a contract for this amount. But if you don't reconcile your numbers, you don't reconcile your books, then you don't know, oh, that's cool. You're at 72% food cost. That's probably good for your numbers. Or maybe it isn't. <laughs> because at the end of the month, you know, so many entrepreneurs that I I talk to in the restaurant business, they figure if they have money left over after paying all the bills, they must be doing okay. I'm a chef. I don't want to do this. Can I just have, you know, my bookkeeper do it? And I'm like, bookkeeping and financial strategy, two different worlds. And I always said, so here, let me give you an example. I just met somebody, like an, an acquaintance that owns a food business who's successful. People love this person's food. She's always busy and she's financially strapped. And she said, well, I don't want to do food. <laughs> I don't want to do food costing because it's a pain in the neck. It's okay. And if I don't, then things aren't okay. And I was like, well, what happens when you don't have more zeros in the bank? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, it's, they switch to a less expensive potato. <laughs> It is. I know that one of, and then they get mad at the potato farmers. Yeah, for being too absolutely, expensive. absolutely. That there are so many parts of the business, which is I I believe it's why a lot of us are in the business because it is one of the most nuanced. Depends on. I mean, think about how many questions, Deegan. How many questions have you gotten where if you were like you said the first thing on your mind, it would be it depends. What food cost do you want? How much money do you make? I, uh, do you make? I find that so many times people start from a product model first and then move towards move towards zero rather than starting at their revenue model first and working back towards the products. Do you find that to be true? Wow. Or of? You just said revenue model backwards as opposed to yeah product, product model. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's almost like product advocacy first through the zero, meaning on opposite sides of the scale, through the zero towards the revenue model. A very dear friend of mine taught me that. I did not figure it out. He's a very astute, very wise businessman. And he told me. I love that. That is such a succinct way of saying that, like something that I spend months thinking about, right? It is such a beautiful, succinct way to say it. It's amazing. Yes, I love that. And 
It's so it is mind blowing. It was mind blowing. I was out on the water with him and he said, Tom, I I love you. I love what you're about. 99% of the people that come to me as, as a a member of a VC firm, 99% of the people that come to me, founders and entrepreneurs quote entrepreneurs. And I use the quotes, the air quotes there that, um, We'll start at the product model. Every single one of them, 99% of me started the product model and then moved towards a balance at the zero rather than what they're looking for is from the revenue model backwards towards zero. And then you fill in with the products. And uh, Deegan, it, it, it was August of last year that we were on the water together and he told me that, well, you're fishing for redfish. And he said, if you knew how many entrepreneurs start with their product, start with their chocolate chip cookie, start with their cinnamon roll, start with their croquembouche, and they haven't even gotten to zero to know where their revenue model is. They haven't thought of a other subscription. They haven't even thought of subscription model. They haven't thought about what the model they're going to use to create their revenue. And then Deegan, when we sit with someone and say, tell me, you know, tell me person, nice person. What is it that you want? I want you to take my, I want you to help me get my business to the next level. So that's cool. What, what level are you on now? What floor are you on now? So, well, I've got, you know, money at the end of the month and nobody, nobody came and picked up any of the furniture or the, or the, or our, or our ovens <laughs> or the car or the you car know. and Cisco is still delivering to us. So everything must be okay. I can't tell you how many people I saw at the beginning of the pandemic where they had just been slowly taking on debt. And they didn't quite understand why. And they had this weird gut feeling that things weren't okay, but they didn't quite know why. And it was amazing to watch people not quite. Do you get us a part of the business, which is what one of the reasons I was. Yes. It was, a, it's part of the business. I think that so many people, either they don't want to know about it or it, it is, it, it is complicated. I mean, it's uh, people talk about, let's keep it simple. It's like, well, you know, it is simple math. It is calculations, but at the end of the time, when someone, if you go into someone digging and say, what's your food, you know, what's your food cost and what's your paper cost? I mean, what's your, what's your, what is your, what's your payroll look like? And they go, well, it's like, oh my gosh. If you can't say I'm at 29%, anyway, you get that. I get fired up about that. I love your, I could listen to you all day. It is like warm milk and honey because to hear somebody else to be like, I just want to stand up and scream preach because the thing is, is I'm normally saying in slightly different words, exactly what you're saying. And so to hear somebody else, I'm like, yes, I'm not on an Island alone. You know, when I started culinary business strategy 12 years ago, I thought for sure that I was going to be like a chef for hire. I was going to be, thought I was going to kind of go in and I was going to be a knife for hire. And I was going to do a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we would see what happened in the truth of the matter is my business has turned more and more over to strategy and financials. Chefs don't need me to teach them how to cook. People know how to cook. Right. But sometimes there's a, you know, an issue, but uh, mainly it's financials and strategy and getting people to do that. And recently, right. They're like, all she wants to do is talk about the numbers. And I'm like, well, if you want that amazing fried chicken, we got to keep it going. One of the things <laughs> I have just started a new service called the numbers tell the story, which is let's take the PL and the cash flow on a monthly basis, look at it, break it down, break it down to the point to where I do a bunch of charts and graphs and pretty things, which you can do in Excel, right? It's not 
right. rocket science, sure. not super fancy, but I put it out into charts and graphs. And then I put a little bit of narrative with it. I meet with the client each month because over the course of a six month period, I want people to see relationships because mm. a lot of times I have clients or potential clients come to me and say the price of cauliflower. I have to raise my prices. Cauliflower went up to $6 a pound last week. And I'm like, there's always a week for every product that goes through the roof on the shoulder mm -hmm. season. Yes. Right. And if we have to be able to adjust to that, it doesn't mean that the world is out to get me just because you spent $150 on cauliflower this week. Like, what is that in relation to what we brought it in or what we sold? That's such good stuff. Isn't it? You and I, could, can we could take a long flight together. Well, I know that is absolutely true. Dick and I had a, a chef. He's a dear, dear friend of my chef, Tim Armstrong, taught me in the kitchen. I started work with him and I just did the, the fancy garde manger stuff for him and, uh, and did his baking. And, and, uh, I was, I was the guy I, I told him I would do the work for him if he would share some of his knowledge. And I, so I ended up being the guy sitting in the cooler on new year's Eve, trying to get the, the white, the, the white quote unquote chocolate to firm up for the balloons, for the, for the, uh, celebration in, in two hours. And one of the things he, he taught me about the ability to, I'm not going to say reject resistance, but to acknowledge resistance and know that there is a reason for it. And I'll tell you that he taught me that with tomatoes, we would go to the market pick out what he wanted on the menu. We had a base menu and then he developed the other items uh, each day, each day to two days. And uh, one of the things that he would not do is he would not have something on the menu that wasn't in season, but he, but we would have complaints. Why don't you have tomato sauce? Why don't you have zucchini? Why don't you have lamb right now? Got me. And, and he told me, said that resistance is to your menu but it comes from the people that come to visit with you. And they begin to learn that I'm not going to get what I want. I'm going to get what I actually want, which is a delicious meal prepared by a chef who understands that the items that we can get is that which we should eat, just like in France, just like in Portugal, just like in other fancy countries that I obviously can't remember more than two. Portugal. I don't know how I remember Portugal, but, but, you know, I, oh, actually I know it was because my buddy Harry was in Portugal and he said, they just, they just like eat when everybody thinks about it. Like sometime three o'clock in the afternoon, they're like, oh my God, I guess it's time to eat three o'clock in the afternoon. That is, that is neat. Digging that. I, I love where we're going with that. And some of these little parts that I put in here, I've learned over the last years to be able to take those out and post, but it's, it's important to the context of the conversation. It's important, which is why we use video. We're not using the video yet. But we're saving it because yeah. we're, we're we're learning right now about the the nuance of just being able to talk to someone that's in the same. Just like we were sitting together, it's hard to have a conversation and not be able to see somebody, you it know, is. moving around and and doing that. And it changes so much that we can be able that we're able to talk to each other, right? Yes. I mean, on some level, I think I just hit my limit of I haven't hit my limit. How do I say this? It's been three years. I was using Zoom long before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But it's been three years of nothing but talking to unidimensional people. So now I'm a little bit like, are there human beings in this world? I think I need to go talk to them. I think that's you know, awesome. like I actually joined a gym again. Oh, good, good. Human beings need to talk to each other. It is a um an interesting way to to think about that. So many people. I, I happen to have my wife is a a brilliant, wonderful person, but she 
is so comfortable in her skin that she goes to a movies by herself. Doesn't need anybody. I mean, she wants to go, she goes and she does her thing. And I have admired that because I am not, I am chatty. And I'm, if I was in an airport, I would look around to find that other person somewhere in the airport that's like looked up and made eye contacts. Like I'm sitting here wishing I could talk to somebody. And so you'll go find that person. Go find that person. And if you knew how many times they were in the food business, you would be surprised. Deegan, I had a, I've, I've met some of the coolest people on airplanes in this format. I am so that you're willing to go up and talk to people. Because there's a lot of people that will not talk to strangers, right? There Most people will not. Most yeah. people will not. I think there's so many amazing conversations to be had. I agree with you. I hadn't thought about it before, but your concept is absolutely true. There are so many times that I have had amazing conversations in airports and on airplanes, right? You meet it is. people. And it's not chit-chat. You're like, hey, so what's important to you? It is because you have a, you know your time. Yeah. I think, you know, I wonder, Deacon, I want to present this to you because I really feel like your your brain is really dialed in on some concepts. I wonder if when we, I, I almost like, uh, and I'm stuttering only because I'm thinking of too many things at once. I'm thinking of the construct of a conversation, meaning if we're looking at it from a, from a, a, a time booked conversation. Right now, you and I, we know we put an hour and a little bit of change into our, so we know we can kind of wiggle and and move and talk. But if there is a, if you are time bound by a conversation, not by choice, but by by just that the plane is going to land and you're going to get off the plane and you're going to meet the person that you're going there or going to get your rental car, there's a time that the conversation is going to stop. In my experience, I've found that people will talk about if they're going to talk, they will talk about what's important to them. And um, I know it's important to me and I don't think they give a hoot about me, but if I'm able to get information from them that can change some of the ways maybe I see things, it can maybe change the way that I feel about a certain subject that uh, I have had some changes in some of my of some of the, the ways that I think about things that have completely blown my mind that I would never have thought differently about because someone said something and I could tell from their, and I don't mean to be like a gooey from their heart you know what i mean but it's but they said that's like oh that person believes that there is something to be looked into for that to dig a little bit deeper you know absolutely can i respond to that please there is i don't know where i got this but somebody smarter than i uh or me i always get those confused told me once the way to do that is somebody taught me that what you do is you ask somebody about what's important to them you find a way to say what's important. And there's 73 different ways. What are you reading? Where are you going? What moves you? What do you spend your time thinking about? That's the part that I want to hear, even if it is underwater BB stacking or nuclear physics, because wow. I know nothing about any one of those. But I love to hear people talk about what's important to them, because from that, I end up knowing about their heart or their mind or the way they yes. see the world, because the content we can all go to the library and get a book on underwater BB stacking or nuclear physics. I think that is a, that is a beautiful sentiment. And when someone is talking about something that's important to them, I don't know if we know it all the time, Deegan, but in, in my, my gut, I feel like I can tell when somebody's talking about something that's important to them. Right? They, they, they have a different, a different continents, a different, the, the way that they talk is different. And it, it has been, um, 
an interesting lifetime of talking to people about things that I had the good fortune. It's in my DNA. Unfortunately, I can't, I can't get around it. Uh, the need to have a conversation with someone like a client Deacon and to actually be able to convince yourself that you need to know what's important to them rather than you telling them what's important to you. I struggle with that sometimes, but I still, in my heart, I'm still thinking about them. Even when I'm talking. <laughs> <laughs> that's a little yeah. truth. I'm gonna have to cut that out because that's a little ooh, that's a little too truthful for me. But <laughs> you know, one of the interesting things that happens is to have conversations that are time bound because you can feel it when people are speaking from their heart. And I think there's another component that happens in an airport or an airplane. I don't have to. We can just have that conversation. We don't have to manage the relationship. We wow, can talk about an idea together. Wow, that's deep. I never so, thought about it that way. So you so, so wait, let me I'm interrupting you. Forgive me. So go go but say that again. Go back through that because that was I never thought about managing because you're not managing the relationship. You're managing the conversation or you're even just having a conversation. Go back over that because that is I am my mind is a little bit blown right this second. <laughs> it's kind Man, of I've never thought about managing a relationship in a short term time because right now I'm not thinking about managing our relationship. I'm thinking about hey, I met a cool person, Deegan, and she's got like good thoughts. But the thing is, is like next time we see each other, or if we follow up and like, hey, I have a client problem with this, or I have somebody on the West Coast, can you help them? Or do you have a resource for this? You're going to say, hey, Deegan, it's Tom. How have you been since we last spoke? What's going on? How's your world? What's happening? Blah, 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 blah. Good, Tom. How are you? Like, we're going to do all that. In this time bound relationship, we don't, we don't even say, how are you? Half the time, we don't even say what your name is until we're leaving. Wow. Right? And so we can just have that content together. I found this to be especially true with one of my, my big hobby is that I ride uh, bicycles. I ride a road bike. And I used to, well, I don't know, maybe I still do. I ride my bike from San Francisco (laughs) to LA once a year, which is 545 miles and seven with 3000 of my closest friends. I like it. And I'll tell you what, on bikes, you have conversations with people whose face you never see (laughs) because you're slowly climbing up a hill together and you're like, how you doing? They're like, barely hanging on. I'm like, stick on my wheel. We can talk. Where are you from? How are you feeling? What's going on? And when you do endurance athletic event like that, there's no time for how's your day or anything like that. It's human beings have these core intimate conversations of like, I think I'm going to quit. No, you're not going to quit. We're going to keep going. We're going to slow. We're going to do it together. Like you get, so I think airports might be similar. That's tribal. That is a hundred percent tribe without a doubt. People that travel in airports, that's a tribe. Mm-hmm. I think that people on bicycles, I, I see that's a tribe. I see that as a, as a sincere tribe. And I know that as a, um, as a runner, I, and I, I know I'm saying this because my my buddies tease me. It's like it's sort of that sort of thing, Deegan, that if someone is and you can think of any subject, but if someone runs or if they play tennis or if they play pickleball now, you got me. They're going to tell you got me if they're a vegetarian, if they're um, left handed, they make left handed googly wrenches. They're going to tell you, the, oh, hey, while I was running the other day, <laughs> I was riding from uh, just a little jaunt from Los Angeles to San Francisco. 65 million miles that 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 I, I do think that it's tribal because I know when I see someone when I'm on my car I see someone running 
I like go like, go, man, it's okay. I'm, I'm with you. I know they can't hear me. And I probably shouldn't even say that out loud that I do that. But I, every time I see a person running, I like, like, go, man, go, girl. I do the do same it. thing when I see somebody really? on a bicycle in my car. Yeah. I want to like go up and honk at them. And then I'm like, don't do that because you'll scare the living bejeebas out of them. Like, yeah. But I'm in my car going, you go, brother. <laughs> That's it. Keep going, man. Keep going. Stop. And they're, and they're looking down, like, lift your head up. Lift your head up, lift your chin up so that you can breathe because you're right. cutting off your air. Well, you know that on a bike. Wow, we went that we went off on that one, didn't we? But that's a real thing. I think, you know, I think I, I'm going to tell you a, a, a correlation that uh, as I was doing some training on mic placement, that it said that one of the things that you have, and I'm thinking about, it, that's why I keep touching my chin because I'm like, keep keep your chin up. And I keep thinking about that. And I'm like, Hold on, everybody. I start like leaning down and, and, and doing that. So that was a, a, a I know that was a weird thing. What what sort of mic have you got? Speaking of mics, what sort of mic are you working on? You know what's crazy? How is it? Does it sound? It sounds good? great. Yeah, it sounds it sounds good. It sounds normal. It sounds like a normal conversation. You know what? I have a really fancy uh, microphone over here that is not plugged in. I am just using my computer microphone. Oh, good. It's got it has a good depth to it. That's why I asked. It has a, a little bit of a depth. It has a low end to it. I don't really have a lot of high end on it, uh, but that's the one you have to be careful of is the high end because it'll spike up and. What are you using? Uh, I'm using an on, just a, a basic on streaming, an on streaming mic. Uh-huh. Oh, there you go. unplugged. Hold on. I unplugged it when I did that. What a gaver. In, in my estimation, more people are concerned about the, the tool that they're using rather than the value or the words that they're breathing, they're, that they're bringing. And uh, we, uh, I made some decisions early on. I'm using a basic mic. I'm using a basic little guy up there. I look like I can see myself. I got the light and it's like, I, I look, you know, pasty and, uh, you know, and I'm not talking, I'm being silly about that because I don't care. Um, but I recognize that hoping that the, it's not the tool, just like we talk about in, in the financial world on the, on the side of the restaurants. Yeah, you can, you, there's like how many tools? I mean, you can look, there's hundreds of tools out there. But until you get to the point, say it's the numbers you're putting in there, doesn't matter if you're using a calculator or an abacus, the numbers you're putting in there and the value that you're able to discern from the financial statements. And understanding the relationship. That's yes, ma'am. Important. Understanding the relationships is really key. Deegan, it seems that you have had a, a wonderful life. You have done some really cool things. I'm so proud that you were able to, to know you, to know that you took the chance at 17 to go to France. I think it's amazing. When if, if someone were wanting to meet you, someone, one of our listeners has a restaurant business, they wish someone could help them with the plain English of financials and understanding the relationship of their numbers in their business to the end results that they're searching for, maybe the, the revenue forward model that they wish they could do that you could help them. Where would someone find you if they wanted to get in touch with you? It's all, it's consistent across the board, culinary business strategy, or my name, Deegan Williams. You can find, and people can find me LinkedIn, Facebook, private Facebook group called Food Biz Builder. Like um, it. You know, my page is culinary business strategy. My website is culinary business strategy. Uh, and I often say that it is a horrible name for a business, but I've made so many mistakes in doing it that I'm able to share with my clients, like why you wouldn't want to do it. But it's exactly what I do is if somebody is looking for a culinary business and strategy, that's what I do. Perfect. So Instagram would be great, but you know, the truth of the matter is all of that stuff. It's always culinary business strategy. 
And the truth of the matter is, um, I am always more drawn to working on client work than I am on to um, marketing. So it's always my downfall. Like I have an Instagram page, but it's not the best. I understand. I understand. That's a big part of it. We had uh, we had a, a wonderful fellow that we met named named Sean Walchef, and he has a Cali barbecue, and he talked about turning what he taught us was about turning his restaurant business, which is the barbecue in California. Well, you're in California. He's down in um, San Diego. I don't know if it's actually the town of or the city of San Diego. But he um, he has turned his barbecue business into a marketing asset generation model. Marketing asset, I think it's what he called it, marketing asset generation model. So that the things that he is doing are documented. That's what he uses as his content. It's a great guy. I'd love to connect you to him. He's a, he's a super guy. He's a guy Can we worry about that for a second? Sure, please. Asset generation model, meaning... Everything that he uses for marketing, he's documenting it. He he videos the truck being unloaded. I mean, he videos the, the truck doesn't show up with the base that they use to create a sauce. I mean, those are all three kind of icky things, but he documents people coming in. He documents saying hello to them. And that's it. And he's very active on LinkedIn. And I wasn't meaning to, to talk about Sean, but I wanted to get, because I felt like that was something that you were uh, you know, that especially with the way you're doing that, the th like this right here can be used and I'd be happy to share. And I will share this with you, of course. I just uh, took a screenshot of us because it's exactly what I do is I always get in or snipping tool and I always like do something. I'm like, well, that was amazing. That was super fun. And then I forget to talk about it. It's like, go tell people. I get it. I completely <laughs> I talk get about it. My clients all the time, but I have a question for you if I may. Yes, ma'am, please. Oh, actually you wanted to ask me. Um, what would be, how can I, is there anything I can do to help you? What would be helpful to you? I appreciate the, the sentiment behind that. You have done already what I hoped for. You have accomplished, uh, as I look at my notes, you, you accomplished what I'd hoped for, which was a, a, you seem to be genuine. You seem to have, you have already done. We're, did we talk about the Pizzeria and Enzo logo? Did we talk about that earlier yeah. an hour ago? Okay. Uh, our logo was made by a friend of ours, Soraya McKay. And it came during a time when I had made a decision, probably 2017, when I left and became and started my business in 2017, that I decided that I was only going to be around people that took action. I do not always take action, but I want to on everything. And I thought that to the best of my ability, I would be around and model myself around people that took action. Deegan, you can talk to me and I will give you 25 ideas. I'm not going to do anything about 24 of them, not even remotely. And, and Soraya, within a few minutes, it's another, it's a longer story, but within a few minutes of our conversation about it, she sent me that logo. And I said, that's a person, Deegan, that does. That's an action taker. And the, but the context behind that is really that you are a doer. You have already done. I, I could I, I can look to you now and say when I when I and I know that I will say I have got to get you in touch with Deegan because not just because she's smart with uh, her culinary business strategy, but because she has actually done. 
So, so I, I, I'm grateful to you for the question. And I do want to tell you that you, you have everything that I needed from the conversation. You've already accomplished that. I'm so, so glad I, to hear that, but I'm always here. That's always, that's always one of my favorite questions because you get such interesting stuff from it. But please do keep me posted. hundred percent. Something I want to know about it. I will. And I, we will definitely keep up because it's, uh, as I was something about you that I, I want to give you a, a compliment or offer a compliment, just to give a compliment, offer a compliment that, um, Deegan, as I read the words that are on your profile and I read the words on your site, I had the benefit, of course, of reading it before talking to you, which normally we wouldn't in the airport. Uh, but I felt a, I'm not going to say a, a kinship, maybe that's not, that's too like woo woo, but a kinship to say, I think I'm going to like talking to Deegan. Um, I like to talk to everybody. I thought I, I said, she's got some things about her. I didn't know a lot of the stuff. I was like, oh, that makes sense. So, so I can show you my, my Deegan Williams note that I use. I use a special kind of note field. Oh, it doesn't matter. Um, with who, what, and where. And and uh, you were checking it out. I was like, damn, man, she's checking the boxes. She's got to figure it out. <laughs> That's kind of I'm gonna... I felt a certain, not to get too woo-woo, but I felt a certain type of kinship too, because I circled back and I was like, I need to pay attention to what these people are about so, like, so I can show up and not like start talking about Cracker Jacks when you want to talk about popcorn. That's true. Well, aren't Cracker you know Jacks, aren't Cracker Jacks popcorn anyway? They are. I just made that <laughs> up. I don't even know what I was saying. I was like, that's going to be awesome if it's not popcorn. It's not. No, it is. Um, but we have a shared friend. You recently uh, had a conversation with Grace, Chef Grace. Yes. Do you know Grace? I know Grace. She's a I'm sweetheart. Surprised. I have. Uh, I actually have her recording from, I guess it was Friday. Have I already, have I already released that? I thought yeah. I hadn't done it yet. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Grace is a, Grace is a peach, man. I, I met, yeah. I met her three, three years. She actually had me on her podcast before. Right, right, right after I had launched mine, and mm -hmm. on, when she was on YouTube, yeah, and she's, um, yeah, she's a, she's an interesting cat. I like her, and she's great for the, you know, uh, airport model because she's always flying. Absolutely true. We did bring that up. We talked. I don't know if you've heard our, the podcast yet, but we talked about the uh, her uh, quarters, like that where they sneak up in the top of the airplane. I had no idea, Deegan. Did you know that that they have like beds and like bunks? I did not know that, and I was. I was like, really? I want to go on a plane right now and look for it. Oh, I'm looking. You, oh, I'm looking the next time I'm on. So where are the, uh, excuse me, ma'am, uh, where are the quarters? <laughs> We're not allowed to tell you that. We'd have to throw you out the plane, get the That's air right. marshal. You do not get to sit on the inside of the plane if you know that. That is neat. So how funny is it that we that we both know, think about this, because she's in um, like, I don't, you know, I think she's like in New York, somewhere in New York, she's New Jersey. Florida. Same thing. New York, New Jersey. I'm just kidding. Whatever. Same but, thing. Yeah. No, because I thought I, she was in Florida when I talked to her. Uh, but having you all the way across exactly across the country from us uh, and knowing her, that is that is it. so imagine if we were in the airport, we would have talked about that and eventually said, wait a minute. I think, you know, do you know Grace? It's like, oh, my gosh. I'll, that happens a lot. I know you know that. That happens. We would have. It would have been great. Yeah. Deacon, if you're out in the community. If someone was out in the community in Oakland, uh, where would they find you? Where would they run into you? Would they run into you at the Whole Foods looking for crazy waka waka fruits to play with? Or, or, or where would they? Uh, that's not a real fruit, by the way. I just I was just going to say that I, I never found a waka waka. They're new. That's a new. It's a Fozzie Bear. It's a Fozzie Bear brand. Oh, okay. Um, out in the community, you know, there's a, a grocery store that's local here called the Berkeley Bowl which is known to have incredible produce. You would, could easily find me at the Berkeley Bowl a couple of times a week. Nice. You'd find me riding, you would run into me riding a bike. Hopefully not um, running to you. 
Okay. Yeah, hopefully not. It would be best if we didn't run into it <laughs> and we just waved at each other. Um, and where else? At theater. I have tickets to the local theater. I love doing that. Oh, fun. And walking. I walk a lot. That's where That's I do. Cool. There's a lake in the middle of Oakland and a lot of us, it's just kind of part of our local culture is like, if you want to meet a friend, we go for a walk around the lake. It takes about an hour and a half. And so if you and I want to catch up, we go for, we meet at the lake and we go for a walk. That is neat. We have had, it's interesting you'd bring that up. I know, I know that we both got a flight that we got to go run catch. Yeah. Uh, but just, just this week, I was at a, a show, one of the first shows that we've had, food show. And one of the things that we were talking about is the difference in conversation when you are actually physically moving, when you're standing up and you're moving. If we're sitting across the table from each other, it's a conversation. We could have the start of the same conversation. But while walking, just like you said about meeting your friend, if you were sitting across having a, a coffee or a beer or and what happens, is, tell me, what do you think happens? What do you think happens with your brain when you're walking that makes you want to have a conversation? Well, you're just literally in movement. You're in movement. Tell me what happens. I'm super curious. The, the idea that we had is that what it does, and, and this is not like scientific. This is just kind of, we were just batting it around. Just some of the people we just like having conversation, just like you and I. And thinking that when you're walking, it allows you to disconnect physically from the stress of someone looking at you while you're talking. That's what I think it is. Yeah. And that you can be a little bit more unguarded and a little bit. Yeah. It's kind of same to the thing of like when you talk to somebody on an airplane, right, or in the airport, you're in transit. I know we need to wrap up. There's one thing that has come to mind that I want to share with you. If Please I do. Please. I hadn't thought about the concept of this talking in the airport. You guys are so smart. Anyway, I have always loved flying for the sense that like it's this moment, it's four hours or 10 hours in time when I am suspended in air above the world, changing time zones half the time, right? And where I can do work, like I can write an outline to a book or I can write a proposal. There's like this kind of suspended in time feeling that I can use to work on whatever I want. And it's always felt like special, like special time that you get, you know, where you're disconnected from everything. And I think that that impacts the type of conversations that obviously you have figured out. I mean, that's, that's an important part of, you know, being able to break eye contact with somebody to give you the chance to breathe. So you remember to breathe. Yeah. Cause otherwise, yes. And that happens in zoom a lot. People are like, why aren't you looking at me? I'm like, I'm thinking. Yeah. I'm I believe without a doubt that the position that we have been put into with the way that we communicate, way we communicate, it's not really, the, the methods that we can use to communicate. I have made 10,000 sales calls in my career minimum, and I have been able to do more in an hour on a Zoom call yeah. than I ever could flying to Dallas to, to meet with uh a major so very true, right? I mean, the pandemic really taught us that. It did. And it, it's it's okay to have a conversation. It's okay to be doing other things. But when you've got other things going on at a desk and you've got to make the appointment and you fly to Oakland and the appointment doesn't come through, got me now, if it doesn't come through, you're like, oh, too bad. Deep. Now I'm going to go get, it's, it's almost five. I'm going to go get a beer. <laughs> doesn't matter because I'm home. Digging, I think we could probably talk for like, six more hours I could have <laughs> we could but so, it's been a pleasure. Uh, i'm so grateful for your time yeah it is so fun to meet you and I, and and you have lived up to everything that i hoped from you you did a good job setting you accurately represent yourself in your work 
I'm gonna tell you that. That's important to know. I appreciate that feedback. Thank you so much. I mean it hundred percent. That's it. That is, that is good stuff. Deacon, um, it has been such a pleasure. I'm sorry that uh, uh, Doug will get to listen to this later, but I'm so glad you got to meet him. And um, in a little while, would you mind uh, coming back on with us and catching back up? Would you mind? Of course not. I'd be happy to anytime. That would be great. Talk, we like are, you said, we could talk for hours. So oh. Deegan, I know we have a flight. Yes, yes. Thank, thank you so much for hanging around with us today. I'm trying to think of how we probably have been an hour and 15 minutes. So there's probably mm -hmm. an hour. I'm going to have to, it's going to take me a while to dig through this because there's going to be so many. Tom, it's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Deegan, it's a, it is my pleasure. And I can't wait to talk to you again. And uh, in the meantime, as we say, cheers from Charleston. Cheers. Take good care of you. See you Thanks, soon. Thanks, Deegan. Bye. Are you doing a podcast with anyone yet? Are you doing your own podcast yet? I'm not, I'm not recommending it. going back and forth about whether I should start one or if it's too late. It is not too late. I'm not recommending that you do. But one of the things it does for me is a lot. I'm going to, I'll tell you. One of the things it does for me as a lifelong learner is we've had this conversation now for an hour and 16 minutes. If we were done, then I would remember only what the notes that I took. I would remember little bits and pieces or the next, oh, I remember you said that, got it. When I do the podcast, I get to hear it when we do it. I get to hear it in the first cut, which is where I take it out in three to five minute increments. And I break it into to what I call a rough cut. So I listen to it a full second time. And then in the third time I produce each individual segment and I get to hear it another one to two times. Not to be kidding. It is, a, it is a, it is, it is a, for a, per, for a person that likes to consume and likes to, that needs three or four times because I'm talking while they're, you know, I'm thinking in my mind while they're talking. Yeah. Um, it, it, there's some things that, like, I don't remember them saying that. Okay. So I'm not saying you should. It.